are launching in to a, a new series that we're calling uh, The Paradox of Faith. And we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, you may recall that we already looked at the book of 1 Corinthians um, back a few series ago, a few months ago. And uh, in there, we were looking at some church problems that Paul needed to address. And uh, there were issues that we talked about and that Paul talked about related to division in the church, some sexual sin, freedoms and liberties, even talked about gender distinction, and then talked about some improprieties that were being done in church gatherings. And so we uh, find that there's a connection between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Um, it's actually believed that there were up to four letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in that the books that we have is actually the 1 Corinthians was probably the second letter, and the uh, Second Corinthians may have been the fourth letter, and he even alluded to some of his previous writings. In fact, I'd like to read a couple verses in Second Corinthians seven. Um, we we find this statement: um, Even though I made you sorry with my letter, my previous letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. And see in this. Um, connection here. He's, he's seen that there's um, uh, life is, is being changed. The church is being changed um, as the church is growing and as they are turning to the Lord, as they're repenting, as they're taking the words that Paul gave to them previously and taking them to heart, there's changes taking place. Well, in this letter to 2 Corinthians, we're actually going to observe that there's some paradoxes. Um, and I want to define that word as we jump into this series. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. And so we're going to be giving you a few statements that on the, on the surface really just don't seem to be very true. And yet we find Paul talking about this really shows um, faith, and it really uh, teaches us about the faith that we walk in Christ. Um, the first paradox we're going to look at actually is going to take two weeks. Because as I was reading through 2 Corinthians, I actually found um, several verses that really seem to uh, become illustrations or analogies that really hit home this idea of this first paradox, and that is this. Paradox number one, two weeks worth of this, is that... Um, Things are most visible when hidden. Most visible when hidden. Um, we're going to take a look at two analogies this week, and then next week, three more analogies that Paul brings up in this letter related to this idea that things are more visible when hidden. Um, so the first quality or the first illustration that he uses that we're going to look at is the, um, the invisibility of fragrance. The invisibility of fragrance. Fragrances, smells, aromas, they can hit people differently, can't they? Um, sometimes you smell something and another person can smell the same thing and it, you might have a different physical reaction to those smells or those fragrances. Um, you might have different thoughts or different memories that come up. Um, the reactions can vary depending on the fragrance um, and, and what you're experiencing, how you uh, process that fragrance. Um, sometimes I wish I could smell things less than I do. I seem to have a really strong smeller. And, and there's a lot of smells that come across my nose in the course of a day that I wished I never smelt. 
Um, I don't like stinky experiences. It can really bring the mood down. And uh, I, even, even to the point where if I'm passing people in a grocery store, um, I'll just automatically hold my breath because I don't want to risk a negative experience as I pass people in the, in the aisle. Um, I want to read a couple of this passage of scripture where Paul talks about the fragrance that accompanies our faith. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So smell can be very powerful. Um, it's invisible. You don't see it coming. And then suddenly, boom, you've got that fragrance, aroma, the smell in your nose that is bringing up a, a lot within you. Um, now, we've got five senses that we generally uh, accept, and one of them being smell. And a lot of times we might disregard smell as maybe the, the most insignificant um, of our senses that we have. And yet, that we find that those who've got good sense of smell, um, there's a quite a lot of power that's related with it. Um, I want to read a quote to you from Colleen Walsh. Um, she's of Harvard, and she wrote this piece about smell. And I want to I want to read this. Smells are handled by the olfactory bulb, the structure in the front of the brain that sends information to the other areas of the body's central command for further processing. Odors take a direct route to the limbic system, including the amygdala and the hippocampus, the regions related to emotion and memory. Now, your walk with Christ and your message of the gospel that you carry with you everywhere you go as a Christ follower is, is powerful in the same way that smell is powerful. That's why here we find Paul that's connecting our faith walk to the fragrance of the gospel. And um, the, here we find Colleen Walsh talking about a couple different regions of the brain that the sense of smell directly impacts. One is she said it goes directly to the amygdala portion of the brain. It's a part of the brain that primarily is your emotion bank. Um, your emotions um, are pretty much all central, especially emotions of fear um, and, uh, and, and other negative emotions are stored right there in the amygdala portion of the brain. And smell goes directly to that uh, part of the brain. Smells strike at the emotion. Um, uh, I've, I've heard of people who are missing someone, maybe someone who they loved passed away or someone who's gone on a long trip. Like they won't wash the clothes of the people that they miss greatly because they want that smell. They want the aroma to be there as long as it can because it brings up the emotions and the feelings that they have for the people that they miss. Um, spiritual matters 
become emotional matters. Have you ever noticed that when God's doing something in your life, speaking to you, maybe you're catching a revelation about something, um, often spiritual matters evoke emotion because um, the, the work of God is, is so powerful and as compared to the sense of smell, it really can hit right at the emotional core of of people. That's why you see people often when they're coming to Christ, when they're con confessing their sin, when they're realizing their need, it's accompanied with emotion. Um, it's accompanied with tears. It's accompanied with, and sometimes those those tears are are sorrow, but sometimes those tears are tears are joyful. They're they're like overwhelming joy. Um, as a Christ follower, here we find Paul saying that you become a diffuser of the knowledge of Christ. You become someone who lets off the aroma. Um, you, um, you've probably seen a, a, a diffuser where there's a, a, oils or other aromas or fragrances or, or even candles burning, and you see that being diffused into the room. And we're described as a diffuser of the knowledge of Christ. Um, now, some people don't do a really good job with this role as a Christ follower. Here's the thing. You go throughout your life or your day, each and every day, as a follower of Christ, diffusing the identity of Christ. Um, you are known as a, a follower of Christ. You're known as someone who goes to church. You're known as someone who has put their faith in the Lord. And then you carry that identity with you and people can't help but then to tie you to God. And so your actions, your activities, your, your words, all of this is diffusing the knowledge of Christ. And if you're not doing a super good job of letting your life line up with your faith, letting your life line up with God's word, you may very well be diffusing something about your faith that you maybe aren't happy about doing. Some people do a fabulous job of representing Christ. Um, you know, they are... Um, filled with the fruits of the Spirit. They've got the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their life and they're um, impacting others and they're loving people as they go. Some people are doing a great job. But the funny thing about that is that the way it hits people can vary from person to per person. Even if you are consistent, even if you're always filled with the fruits of the Spirit, even if you've always are walking right in tune with God, and we know that all of us fail at this in some ways, but I'm trying to paint the picture of someone who just really emulates the, the way that Jesus would want a person to emulate and walk. And then you can find that to some, you come off and uh, in such a way that people accept that and they want that in their life and they joyfully want to know how they can have what you've got. And yet that same person can have a totally opposite impact on another person and it can bring about rejection, rejection of whatever it is that you have. Now, why is this true? Well, we might get a little bit of a picture of this when we take a look at that other part of the brain that Colleen Walsh talked about, and that's the hippocampus. And its primary function is the memory bank. 
and that smells can go directly right to that memory bank in a person's brain. Um, I can think of uh, you know certain smells that I came in contact with um, after I moved back to the Northwest after being gone for a long time, going for hikes in the woods, and there was certain smells out in the Northwest woods that brought me right back to experiences I had with a kid growing up around here. Um, these smells just took me right back to experiences, to uh, uh, camping trips that I was on. Um, it was just powerful how I hadn't thought of that for years until that same aroma out in the woods um, brought me right back to that because smells go right to that memory bank. And so what we find here is that as a Christ follower, you become a reminder as you're letting off the fragrance of Christ in your life and the fragrance of the gospel. It's also a reminder. And it says here that to some, your Christian walk is the fragrance of death leading to death. And to others, it's the fragrance of life leading to life. How is it that you can have that same kind of impact, that extreme impact from person to person? Well, you need to realize that your Christian walk is not the first encounter someone has with God. You see, God has been present with every person that you come in contact with since the moment they were conceived, since the moment they came um, into this world, since God has been walking with them. God has been making himself known. He's been demonstrating his power. He's been providing for them. He's been showing off his, his creativity in their life. He has been present in their life. And people are continually making a decision about God. Now, they might not know they're doing it. It might not be super conscious, but it's true. God is relating to mankind. He is relating to every single person. And so when you walk into their life and your fragrance, the aroma of Christ is coming through you, what you're doing is you're reminding them of decisions they've already made about God. And for to some, it's the fragrance of life because they've made a decision about God. They've decided to follow him. They've decided to accept him. But others have chosen to walk in a continual um, rejection of God. And so when you come into their life and you come into their presence, you could bring on the reminder of death because they've chosen continually so far to reject God. Death leading to death. Now, here's the thing. They don't have to continue to make that decision. Your fragrance, your testimony, the faith that you have can bring about a change decision that they'll make. And hopefully they come to this place where they decide for Christ and eventually their fragrance of other Christ followers turns into life rather than death in their nose, in their understanding, in their belief, in their perception. You see, here's the thing. Jesus is the most visible when hidden. Jesus is the most visible when hidden. You see, we actually make quite a big difference as we walk through this life, becoming diffusers of our faith. That means that our um, unspoken interaction with people is just as powerful as our spoken words. The way we express and demonstrate God's love, the way we come alongside people and encourage, the way we walk with the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, it ends up becoming a much stronger communication than the words that we say or the things that we post online. I want to encourage you and challenge you to see yourself as a, um, as a silent 
um, testifier of the good news of Jesus Christ, a, a silent preacher, if you will, that wherever you go, you are exuding the fragrance of Christ. And what that really does is that tees up the opportunity to eventually talk about your faith. Um, it's so important um, that we walk this thing out and that we diffuse our faith. And that really, really comes to uh, our opportunity in the middle of challenging and dark times um, in our community and in our society. There's another analogy that we see here in 2 Corinthians. We, we see this idea of the fragrance of Christ. But here we find also the concealment of a veil. The concealment of a veil. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6 reads, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here we find in this verse this other analogy talking about the veil. So another silent, another hidden um, aspect of the faith. When, when Jesus is hidden, he's the most visible. And here we find another um, idea about a hidden thing, a hidden, hidden analogy, and that is the concealment of a veil. Now, ancient societies um, would, and, and even some modern-day Eastern societies, will and have used veils to distinguish women from men or to distinguish married from unmarried, um, maybe noble from ignoble, um, other aspects of community distinction and protection. And um, in, in some ways, it's not been used in in a very uh, good way, like we would uh, espouse because maybe it's brought about, um, you know, kind of an idea of women being property um, or, you know, unable to be themselves. And I certainly do not uh, espouse that. I'm not talking about whether a veil is good or bad here. I'm just saying it's been used um, throughout history um, to bring about these kind of distinctions. And of what a veil does is it hides or it conceals. Maybe at some point it's used that it might eventually reveal something, but it's used to, uh, to hide or to conceal. And this passage talks about the gospel being veiled. And really there's um, one to blame for this um, veiled gospel, um, this hidden or blinded gospel, and that is that it's a goal or a tactic of the enemy. The enemy wants to keep the gospel veiled. He doesn't want people discovering the truth of the gospel. He doesn't want people to understand it. And so he works pretty hard at trying to keep it veiled. It says here in verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds this God of this age is blinded, who do not believed. You see, he works full time trying to blind the hearts and the minds of people um, before they come to this knowledge of Christ. And you probably could speak very clearly at the way um, the enemy blinded your eyes, um, your spiritual eyes before you came to Christ. Or maybe you're sitting here in a way and man, you've never accepted Jesus Christ. And I want to let you know that there's an enemy of your soul who wants to keep you blinded to the truth of the gospel. Um, the follower of Christ, 
the messenger or the preacher, I'm going to use air quotes because every single one of us are um, preachers of this gospel. We've already talked about the way the fragrance of the gospel comes out from us. And so the follower of Christ can unknowingly become a veil to the gospel. Well, what do we mean? Well, we ourselves can hide the true gospel from people um, from the way we talk and communicate and live. Um, in fact, Paul felt it necessary in these verses in verse five to, to mention, to, to make this line. He says, for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. And when, why would he feel the need to say, we don't preach ourselves? Well, I think it's because others have been in the habit of doing so. In fact, we can fall into the trap of trying to get people to like us or want to be like us or to follow us. We can't help but sometimes for our pride to get in the way and we want people to um, want to be like us. Um, a bit of a popularity contest within our own hearts. And Paul's saying, we never preached ourselves at all. We preached Christ. Because here's the deal. Our role in sharing the gospel is to connect people to Jesus, not to us. It's to connect people to Jesus, not even to our own church. It's to, to connect people in a personal relationship, in a personal faith walk with Christ himself. And let Jesus be that primary relationship in their life. And yet we can sometimes get in the way of that. We, even as messengers of the gospel, can end up trying to connect people to us rather than to connect them to Christ. And our job is not to get people to follow ourselves, but rather to get them connected to Jesus. But here we find Jesus himself speaking to a group of religious leaders about their own evangelism techniques that had nothing to do with connecting them to God. Listen to this rebuke that he gives in Matthew 23. Again, Jesus talking to religious leaders. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. He's saying that people they almost like go out like missionaries, and then they would be trying to connect them, say, follow me, do what I do, follow my rules, follow my way of living. And they end up converting people to be just as disconnected to God as they themselves were. And you see, that's a rebuke from Jesus. We need to help people get connected to Christ, not connected to us. Um, but here's the thing, that people are kind of sitting in this darkness, this veiled condition where their, their eyes and their hearts are blinded to the gospel. Um, we find it being compared to darkness. And this darkness can literally prepare a heart for the need of Christ. Um, I want you to catch this thought here. We... Um, and the, and the Lord wants to use the veil over people's eyes to help them come to this place of need. Um, they realize their need for Christ because, boy, living in the darkness for very long can really uh, get a person um, down and coming to this place where they need the light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 said this, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. I get this God of creation. He initially was the one who commanded light to come out of darkness. It's he who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ in an individual's heart, it occurs in the same manner that light pierces darkness. So you've been living in the dark. You've been living um, in, in such a way that you cannot see and you can't function and you're 
you're trying to figure things out and suddenly light shows up in that situation bringing revelation. Um, I want you to envision yourself early on a, on a morning before the sunrise has come up and you're maybe out on a walk or you're outside and suddenly you see the, 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 the light on the horizon begin to come and suddenly that light, the light of the sun appears. Um, and that is the same manner in which the revelation of Jesus Christ comes to those who've been sitting in darkness, who the gospel has been veiled. They've not been able to see it. And God uses that dark veil to bring us to this place of recognizing our need for Christ. You see, Jesus is the most visible when hidden. And he wants to use us as his people to help see this veil torn back. And it really comes through our, um, our fragrance. It comes through us just allowing um, Jesus to, to use us and to, and to let his, um, his love and his grace and the Holy Spirit make that kind of change. So, so far we've taken a look at two analogies that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians. We've talked about the invisibility of fragrance and that we've really been charged to be diffusers of the fragrance of the gospel. And then we find this veil of the gospel and how the enemy tries to use that veil and to keep people shielded from the truth. And, and the Lord will peel that back um, through his people and through the testimony of his people. The fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus, it hits right at that emotional piece and it, and it, and it um, comes at people with their memory bank and the reminds them of the decisions that they've already made about God and this veil, this tactic of the enemy and the tool of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to um, encourage us as we walk through this book that we and, uh, give some thought, some prayer to the paradoxes of the faith, some of the things that, that are unsuspecting, some of the things that we don't see to be true on the surface, and we realize that God's doing an amazing work. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about some more um, hidden um, analogies, hidden tools that God uses um, to help us come to greater knowledge and greater effectiveness in our ministry. So my question to you is, in what ways have you been um, fragrant um, in what ways has the fragrance of the gospel been coming out of your life? Have you seen reactions to your fragrance, um, your um, testimony, um, your way of faith? And if you've been seeing negative responses or you've been seeing accepting, realize that that's not on you fully. <laughs> it's really on the condition of their heart and where they're at. But what we're going to pray for is that your fragrance would become an inspiration. It would become like a veil being torn back and people coming to Christ. Would you pray with me in that way? Father, um, your word is, is rich and there's a lot here, God, that helps us to understand your way. And Lord, we recognize that Jesus, you are the most visible sometimes in the most hidden of circumstances. You're the most visible, Lord, when, um, when things um, impact a person's heart and life in these unsuspecting ways, Lord. And God, you want to use your people. You want to use... Uh, 
me, you want to use each person that's listening today, you want to use Rochester Life in such a way, God, that um, the fragrance of your gospel goes forth. And Lord, the veil that is shielding so many hearts, O oh Lord, would be torn back. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to be the fragrance of Christ, O oh Lord, that you would anoint us for this, that you would put it within our hearts, O oh Lord, that you would be seen indeed um, in, the, in our lives and it would connect people to you, Lord Jesus. Um, that's our, our desire. Lord, I bless your church as we continue to look at 2 Corinthians in the weeks ahead, Father. Reveal yourself even more in some of these very unsuspecting ways. In Jesus' name, amen.